Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Spirit may enable us to know you better, so that we may faithfully serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our story today concerns a battle between the nation of Syria and Israel. Three years ago, Syria was annihilated by Israel. 100,000 plus Syrian soldiers were massacred. Since then, there has been peace between the two nations. We're turning to 1 Kings chapter 22. I have the New International Version this morning. For three years, there was no war between Syria or Aram and Israel. We join the story in 1 Kings 22 before the royal court. Two kings sitting upon their royal thrones, arrayed in their robes, surrounded by all the usual dignitaries. You know the deal, court officials, guards, messengers, corgis. One is the king of Israel, the other is Jehoshaphat, we'll call him Josh for short, the king of Judah. Their discussion involves a certain Israelite city, Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel to his officials, you know, Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, it's ours. But we're doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. Do you realise that? Vigorous nodding all around. Listen, King Josh, what do you say to joining me in battle against these Syrian blighters and getting our city of Ramoth back from this Syrian king? Josh says, sounds good to me. You can count me in. I am as you are. My people are your people. King of Israel, excellent. Well, let's get ready. But what is it, Josh? Well, I think we should inquire first for the word of the Lord. Oh, right, oh, Josh. Uh, good thing. Officials, Humphrey, go fetch them. A little later, the king of Israel to the 400 summoned prophets. Well, fellows, this is our city. We've beaten these guys before. What do you think? Shall I go up against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? The prophets, go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. There you go, Josh. It's all sealed. God's with us too and but... This Josh, he is a real card, a butt man. Yes, I'm all for a butt. But isn't there another prophet of the Lord here of whom we may inquire? The king of Israel muttering to himself, you've just had 400. You've got something special about the number 401. Well, Josh, yes, actually there is one other fellow. Now you come to mention it, but I can't bear the guy. I hate him. I mean, it gets a bit much when a fellow never prophesies anything favourable about you, only disaster. It gets on your nerves. A bit, you know. Let not the king say such a thing. And his name? Asked Josh. Micaiah, son of Imla. All right then, Bernard, off you go and fetch him. As we wait, for Bernard and Micaiah to return, one of the prophets, Zedekiah, grabs some bits of iron and makes a set of horns. He holds them up before the royal throne, declaring, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. 
And the 400 respond, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. While all that is going on, Micaiah has just been found by Bernard. Bernard. The king's messenger is busy telling the prophet Micaiah to be cautious. Look, Micaiah, everyone is in agreement. Why rock the boat? Let your word be like the, the word of, of one of them and, and speak favourably for once. Is there some frame up, frame, frame, up, <laughs> frame up going on here? Whatever the case, if there's something fishy going on, then Micaiah's reply makes it quite plain that he is not going to be merely a rubber-stamp man, a yes-man to make things easy. Micaiah declared, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. By this stage, we have a sneaking suspicion that Micaiah is not going to go along with the boys. At the Royal Commission, the Micaiah Diaries will reveal the truth. Regardless of what everyone else says, Micaiah, son of Imlah, will be one who speaks whatever the Lord speaks. And by this stage, you probably have the feeling that his reply will not go over too well with the King of Israel. Yet it will be the truth. Micaiah finally comes before the royal court and the king of Israel asks the same question. Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? How does he reply? <clears throat> Remember in Micaiah's words, this is what the Lord says. Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Well, that's a surprise. It's exactly the same message of the 400 other prophets. That settles it then. Everything is on their side. The cause is just. Ramoth Gilead belongs to Israel. Certainly God ought to support such a venture. Their recent history shows that. The scrupulous piety, the prophetic assurances, the past experience, tradition and reason all lead us to expect a positive outcome. The prospect of Israel and Judah uniting in free alliance to reach a shared national art goal is ideal. And now even Micaiah, the prophet of the Lord, has confirmed unexpectedly the prophecy of the 400. Battle is now to be drawn. The military stage is set. Victory is at but. Everyone groans as they turn to look at Josh. But this time, it's the senior partner of the alliance. The battle is again delayed. But now it is by the one who was so keen to go to war in the first place, the king of Israel. He says to Micaiah, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? 
Here the king of Israel asserts that he is after the truth. Micaiah responds with a vision he had. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The shepherd was the one who was the ruler over Israel, the king. Micaiah is saying that Israel will be without her king and will be uselessly dispersed, incapable of war. Here, the king's fate seems uncertain. The battle will be a personal disaster for the king. The king had said he's after the truth. You have got to wonder whether that's the real reason for his interruption. When a minute later he says to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy anything favorable about me, but only disaster? It's a kind of self-justification. There you go. I told you so. I have good reason to hate this fellow. He only wants to prophesy catastrophe for me. The king's main concern is to prove to Josh that Micaiah is in fact his enemy. He is determined to justify what he had first said about Micaiah to show that he had spoken the truth. And what is incredible is that it appears that the king is correct. Micaiah's first statement can't be the truth if the vision is right. You can either triumph or be scattered, but you can't have both. That is extraordinary. Isn't this the Micaiah who speaks only what the Lord speaks, the man we can trust? Well, by now, if you're anything like me, you're probably a little puzzled. What is going on? Who is speaking the truth? Will the battle be a success or a failure? So firstly, how do we know who's right? Micaiah helps us here. Micaiah's future is very bleak. After his report, he is scornfully insulted by Zedekiah, who slaps him upon the cheek saying, where did this spirit of the Lord from me to speak to go from me to speak to you. And then the king of Israel also expresses his hatred and anger at Micaiah by having him thrown into prison. The treatment was brutal. Micaiah is to be fed the bread and water of oppression until the king comes in peace. Siege food, bare scraps. The mention of peace leads the prophet to add a final warning which also gives us a litmus test to discern who is right. To the king, Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples, all of you. They are the final words of Micaiah, son of Imla. In fact, the scripture tells us no more as to how he fared. Micaiah is a testimony to the fact that to speak boldly in the world, in the counsels of men, 
may involve tremendous personal sacrifice, cost and comfort. Micaiah's fate is a solemn reminder to us of the costs involved for those who claim to speak God's word. However, we're still to test the truth or falsehood of his word, and it is the king's fate which is seen as the key to the test of its truth. The classic test of a prophet's word was, of course, whether it came to pass or not. So what actually happens? The king of Israel has been shaken by the Micaiah incident. So instead of going into battle in all his robes of royalty, he opts for a ploy to trick the Syrian army, a bit of subterfuge. Listen, Josh, I'll disguise myself and go as any ordinary soldier, but you wear your robes. You can have the honour today. And so that's what they do. The king of Israel enters the battle anonymously, unnamed, disguised, incognito. Meanwhile, in the Syrian camp, the Syrian king is giving his battle strategy to his 32 captains. The tactics, fight only with the king of Israel. He is the key to victory. The battle commences. The deception is successful. For when the Syrian captains see Jehoshaphat in all his kingly gear, they cry, It is surely the king of Israel. The 32 Syrian captains turn and fight against him. And Josh, cool, calm, composed, and with kingly bravery says, It's not me, it's not me, I'm not the king of Israel. And the captains of the chariot realise that they are pursuing the wrong fellow. So they stop the chase and turn back from their attack upon Jehoshaphat. The king of Israel's ploy has worked. His name will go down in history. The great disguise of... But who is this king? Throughout the entire account, he is an anonymous character. It's almost as though he is hiding himself. He wants to go unknown. Is he being hunted and so in disguise throughout? We know the king of Judah's name, but who is the king of Israel? Why is he incognito? There was one more vision of Micaiah's, which we have overlooked, which gives us the answer. It's a picture of a throne scene in verses 19 to 23. Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, with all the host of heaven standing beside him on the right and to the left of him. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, so that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Then one said one thing, and another said another, until a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. How? The Lord asked him. He replied, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. 
Then the Lord said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. The facts. First, the 400 prophets had spoken with a lying spirit. Second, it was the Lord who had sent this spirit. It is he who is in control. Third, what was the purpose? To entice Ahab so that he would fall in the battle at Ramoth-Gilead. His method? Enticement, a, a ruse, a lure or a bait to trap his enemy. Fourth, in short, it wasn't Micaiah, but it was the Lord who had decreed disaster for Ahab. Ahab, that king who was driven by obsessive covetousness as seen in 1 Kings 21. A man who had sold himself to the devil. After that Naboth episode in the previous chapter, no wonder he was trying to hide. But it is the Lord who knows the identity of the king of Israel, disguise or no disguise. And so the prophetic litmus test in verses 34 to 36, but a certain man drew his bow and unknowingly struck the king of Israel between the scale armour and the breastplate, and at evening he died. An anonymous archer, Let's fly a, comp a coincidental arrow which strikes the king down. Coincidence? Hardly. Despite all the attempts of the king of Israel to go undetected, there is one who recognises him and knows his enemy. It is the Lord of Israel who knows Ahab. What then can we say about Micaiah's initial lie? The answer rests, I believe, in the fact that it is the Lord who has been dealing with Ahab. For Micaiah's lie was the same as that of the 400. It thus reveals how much Ahab is blinded by the hate of, his, of this prophet of the Lord. Ahab goes to Ramoth-Gilead, yet he himself declared that the prophetic word of Micaiah to triumph at that city was false. Here is a man feared by the enemy more than an army, yet fated to die because he cannot hear the truth from a prophet he hates. A man more concerned to prove that he is right about Micaiah than he is with Micaiah's prophecy itself. It was a blind prejudice which led to Ahab's downfall. Let us take heed ourselves and beware lest our own hate of someone blind us to the truth. It all serves the purpose of the God of Israel. He wants this sinful king of Israel to fall so that his people Israel may be saved. In short, by exposing the blind prejudice, the Lord has disarmed Ahab and triumphed over him in the battle of Ramoth-Gilead. <clears throat> the irony is that Israel, though scattered, was saved because the king of Israel died that day. 
It is an irony which is repeated by another king of Israel, a shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, but unlike Ahab, he did it of his own accord, so that they may have peace. For indeed the battle of Ramoth Gilead foreshadows this cosmic battle between the Lord and his opponents, behind whom stood the evil one himself. The rulers and authorities of Rome and of Israel, the best government and highest religion the world of that time had ever known, conspired to place Jesus on a cross. And these powers, angry at his challenge to their sovereignty, stripped him naked, held him up to public contempt, and celebrated triumph over him. But what a ruse of God. It was as vain and foolish an attempt as Ahab's disguise to evade God. As Paul writes in Colossians 2, God set the record that stood against us with its legal demands aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. What irony. It was the exact opposite which was occurring. On the cross, God was stripping them naked, was holding them up to public, to public contempt and leading them in his own triumphal procession in Christ, the crucified Messiah. When the powers had done their worst, crucifying the Lord of glory, the King of Israel incognito, on the charge of blasphemy and rebellion, they had fooled themselves. So Paul writes elsewhere, we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But in light of the story of Ramoth Gilead, in one sense, the cross of Christ is really no surprise. Of course God will triumph. For who can defeat this one who sits upon the heavenly throne? Two things stand out for me as I consider 1 Kings chapter 22. Micaiah's example and God's power. First, Micaiah's example, the boldness of Micaiah, despite the opposition, the odds, the argument of worldly reason and past experience, a courage to stand for the Lord, even though the personal cost was enormous, humiliation, suffering, obliv oblivion. And second, the power of God. How do you stand before the Zedekiahs who mockingly slap you on the face, and the Ahabs who inflict physical and mental pain upon you, those who think they are triumphing here on earth, no, who are triumphing. They are manifestly on top. How can we be bold like Micaiah? And furthermore, how do you encourage others who are feeling weighed down by oppressive powers? those faceless opponents. Even in this time where we find ourselves 
dealing with a, a pandemic which we can't work out how to make the right decisions. What do we deal with? What are we, what are we to do? The economic forces which constantly plague our society, dealing with uh, impersonal institutions that capture us as we find ourselves caught in things like mortgage payment repayments that bring pressure upon us in times where we can't even find ourselves being able to go to work and earn the money to pay the bills. How do we stand? Our boldness and our encouragement comes only as we know that one who is more powerful than any such rulers or opponents or powers. The one whose purposes will be fulfilled, have no doubt about that. He is the King of Israel, the Sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. He sees through all disguises. He knows their faces, their names and their ploys. And moreover, that same Lord God of Israel has triumphed in the ultimate ploy, the cross of Christ. The fate of Ahab assures us that on the last day, the cross will reveal the folly of all who opposed the true shepherd of Israel. Brothers and sisters, let us be assured of that. Let us pray. O Lord, give us the grace to so know your power and your ways that we may stand as Micaiah did humbly in the counsel of this great God, yet boldly in the counsels of men, whatever the cost. Amen.